0: Look, crowns are cool, right? Like, everybody likes to wear a crown. How many of you guys go to Burger King? Do they still have crowns? Like, you could go in there and get those little ones you, like, put together and wear at Burger King? You guys know what I'm talking about? Yeah, but they're awesome. I used to get a bunch of them and wear them. Man, there's something about a crown that's just, like, makes you feel good. Like, you know, she got it. She got it. You guys probably have watched different movies, like Frozen or these other movies, where, like, there's this prince or this princess that just wants to be normal, Right? They put on, like, peasant clothes or whatever, and they go out and sneak away from the castle, and they make normal friends with normal people, and there's usually a love interest, and they're, like, in love with this really normal guy or girl that they're, like, they're just playing it down because they don't want people to know that they're royalty, that they are a, a prince or a princess. They just kind of want to live this normal life, and we watch a lot of movies like that. It's a cool storyline, but that's not our story, right? That's not this story that we're going to talk about tonight. Our story is one where we've already left the castle a long time ago. We already ran away from our father, the king of all creation. We already became peasants without a home, sleeping and eating with the pigs. That's the story of humanity. That's the story of you and I. The castle is way in the rearview mirror and we're destitute. We find our story, the center of it is in a place of loneliness where we could never get back to the castle on our own if we wanted to. And so as we look into this passage tonight, I want you guys to know something as we approach what James is about to say. That story that we just described, God doesn't want you to stay there. God sees you out there with the pigs. He sees us each kind of lost, doing our own thing. And he looks at us with eyes that love us so much that he gave his only son to get us back into the castle, to take a crown and put it back on our head, to pull those paupers' clothes, those peasant clothes off of us and say, you're not normal. You're royalty if you believe in Jesus. You are a child of God Almighty, the King of all of creation, and he holds out a crown, and he wants to put it on your head, and he wants you to behave and live and embrace the fact that you are his child and that you're royalty. He wants you to put the crown on. So tonight as we start, I just want to start off with this statement. Wear the crown. Wear it proudly, boldly knowing who you are as a child of God. We're going to read James chapter one. So you guys can open up there. We're still walking through our series in James called Asking for a Friend. And the question we're looking at tonight is living that abundant life in Jesus. The life of royalty is a child of God. James one verses 12 to 18 is where we're looking. So read it with me. It says, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he stood the test, he will receive the crown of of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he's tempted, I'm being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it's conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers, he says. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. So we're starting right there at the beginning, that first verse we read with the word blessed. Blessed blessed. And I want, I want you to kind of look with me at what that word means real quick, because it might have taken on all sorts of different meanings for us. Right, we hear that word "blessed." It might sound like some old, staunchy like church word, or some weird, like sanctimonious word that we use in like ceremony, like "blessed," you know, like. Or maybe it's a social media word for you that's really overused, and everybody's like hashtag blessed. You know, it means nothing anymore. It's been so watered down. But whatever meaning or definition that's taken on for you, here's how it was being used by James in this passage. The word "blessed," if you look it up, it, it means receiving the highest good. If you're blessed, whatever situation you're in, you're getting the highest good you could possibly get out of that situation or in that situation. But it also has this other meaning that it's often used. It means happy or content, like satisfied. So when he says blessed here, what he's saying is that for you to live a life that is getting the highest good possible out of your life that will bring you satisfaction and happiness and contentment, Here's what he says to do. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. Remaining steadfast is not as easy as it might sound. (laughs) Remaining steadfast has this idea that you will be able to look at whatever circumstances come and then make it through it. And sometimes that seems more difficult than you'd think. When you're looking at this mountain that's coming at you, this gigantic problem in your life, and you're like, God, how am I ever going to get through that? Lord, do you know what I'm up against right here? Do you know what I'm facing? This is a big deal. How will I remain steadfast when that's coming at me? My family's falling apart. When somebody that I love so much is sick and lying in the hospital, God, how do I remain steadfast in the middle of that? Or this temptation is in my life and this sin keeps kicking my butt and I just can't say no and I can't break free from this addiction that just has me in chains. God, how will I ever remain steadfast through that? But he says, blessed is the one who can remain steadfast who can trust God in the worst time or even in the best time that you don't get distracted from the main focus. Blessed is the man who can remain steadfast. And it says this next, for when he has stood the test, he will remain, he will receive the crown of life. The first thing we saw was God wants to bless you. Do you know that tonight? In God's heart, He wants you to be blessed. He wants you to get the greatest good, live this abundant life. God's not looking down at you, trying to just smack you around and like do all these horrible things to you and make you pay like some sort of consequences for something you've done. That's not what God is doing. He actually desires for you to be blessed, to be happy and content and find satisfaction. In your life, to get the highest good out of every situation in your life. God wants you to be blessed. But then it says, look at this next part that we just read. For when he stood the test, he will receive the crown of life. God doesn't just want to bless you. The second thing I want you to see is that God wants to test you. He wants you to be able to look at your life and look at these things that you're going through and see that he's actually at work inside your heart. You see, there's a difference between a test and temptation. And we're going to see that in a minute. But when we use this word test, it was used to talk about precious metals. Like they would do this to precious metals to figure out if it was genuine or if it was fake. And so they're like in the market trying to do this deal. They could test the metal to figure out if they were being tricked or not into buying some worthless junk. And that's the word being used here, this testing to see if what is inside of your heart in your life, real or just make-believe worthless junk, something that we pretend is real, this fake life we put on when we go to church, this fake smile we wear trying to convince people that we're someone we're not, this fake hands that are raised sometimes when there's nothing going on in our hearts of worship toward this great God, and he wants you to be able to see To look inside yourself and be able to do this test and say, this is real. I'm in love with God. There's a real, genuine faith in my heart. And so God wants to test you like that so that you can see the truth about who you are. So you don't go through life faking it, living this empty life. You want to live an abundant life? You want to live a life to the fullest to get the most out of it? You can't do it and be a fake. Living in hypocrisy, faking it, is never going to get the fullest for you out of life. And so God wants to offer you something better. He wants to give you the truth. He wants you to be able to grab onto life and live it to the fullest because you're not lying. You're not being a hypocrite. You're not faking it. You're able to see that what's happening inside of you, the work he's doing, is real. And so when you raise your hands in worship, it's your heart going out to God saying, Lord, take all of me. Every bit, I want to give it to you, Jesus. It's not this fake thing of, oh, I hope people see me with my hands up. It's, God, there's nothing better than you. I'm convinced of it. I believe it. I don't care if people make fun. I just want you to know. I believe it with all my heart. God wants to use testing in your life that might be difficult, and it might hurt, and there might be some pain involved, but it's never because God's coming after you to cause that pain. But he will use it He'll look at that moment and say, you know what? I'm going to use this as a test for you to reveal what's really inside your heart. I'm going to take this mess, this chaos, and make a masterpiece. Make something beautiful and use it for good in your life. And you see it coming and you dread it, right? Like if you're like me, you're like, uh-oh, I know what's about to happen. I want to run the other way every time something difficult comes. But God's like, hold on. I got a plan for even that thing that thing you want to run away from like the plague that you want to avoid. I'm going to grab it, embrace it, and use it in your life for good. And I'm going to show you. I'm going to show you what's really inside here. So you can hold on to life and live it abundantly, live it in truth. So he tests us that way. When I was a little kid, I hated tests. I hated school. I hated being in public. I was just, I was such a nervous kid, period. I had like crazy anxiety issues, um, And so, like, when it was test time, I felt like I was going to let the whole world down. If I didn't do well, somehow everyone in the world would be affected, which really no one cared, but it was this weird thing I had. And so I was like, no, I can't let people down. And so I hated tests. And when I was that age where some of you guys know SATs came around, you know, and you're, like, looking into colleges and all that deal, tests are important. And because I hated tests so much, I waited to the last possible offering of the SAT before like colleges were like too late, you know? So I went to that one and I got sick right before the test. I had no choice. It was was, like pre-COVID days. Nobody cared if you were sick. Like you went and did stuff, right? And so I was like sick as a dog. My parents dragged me to this test. I walk in there. I'm like the whole time just like wiping my nose. You ever been in school and you have to have your head down to take a test and your nose just like doesn't stop and you're like, oh, I'm trying to do this. Like, I think, I don't know. You know, it's one of those. Um, And uh, (laughs) it was bad. It was bad. So I am struggling through this test and just knowing there's no way. My mind wasn't clear. I was nauseous. It was just not going to be a good test. And sometimes whenever I think of testing like that, there's this negative connotation, you know, that comes with it. And you might feel that way too. Whenever you think God's going to test me, you dread it. You're like, this is going to be bad. This is going to hurt. This is going to be painful. But not all testing, not all trials are bad. When God uses these moments, he matures you. He makes your faith stronger. He grows you. He refines you. And he opens the doors of your heart so you can actually see what's in here. This is real. I love Jesus. Jesus. It's funny when you actually see that in your own heart and you're surprised. You know, like, wait, I really do love Jesus. Like, I don't know if you've ever had a moment like that. But when you get it, when when that clicks, there's no turning back. It's like, Jesus, you're my everything. And I wouldn't get there if God didn't test me, if he didn't help me go through these trials to reveal that to me and show me that what's inside is actually genuine, I love that, he, that this promise comes with a prize, right? God wants to test me, but he, he gives me this reward, the crown of life, this eternal life that shows that my faith in him is genuine, that when I stand at the gates of heaven, he's like, why should I let you in? You know, he's not going to be like, depart from me, I don't know you. He's going to be like, come in, I know. I've already tested you. I've proven your heart. I know that you have faith. I know that you have a relationship with me, that you've stepped into repentance. Come in. And that's how testing hands us this crown of life that we can wear boldly and say, I'm your child. Right here, like, look at the crown, Jesus. I am a child of the living king of all creation. This crown of life is so important because it changes everything about you. It causes you to live like that child of God and you stop living like that peasant we talked about. You boldly stand up and say, I belong to Jesus. Then he says this, which God has promised to those who love him. Do you love him? Tonight, could you really sit there and be like, I love God. I really love Jesus. Not in some churchy Sunday school way, but like in the depth of your heart you really believe you love this person who came and hung himself on a tree with nails through his hands and feet, who was whipped and beaten and scarred beyond recognition, who died gasping for air for you. Never had to do it. He didn't deserve it. The son of God loves you so much that he did that. Can you respond to that love and say genuinely in my heart, God, I love you for what you've done. I can love you because you loved me first. I can respond in that way, and it's genuine. You see, love is the key to that whole thing. doesn't mean you're perfect immediately. God is at work testing you, testing you, growing you. It's this process called sanctification, This big word, remember that, write that down. Sanctification means he's making you like him. He's making you holy. He's causing you to live and think and and believe like him. And as he's making you more like him, he does it through this testing. It's not of your works. It's nothing you're doing. It's not this great faith that you have. You just have mustard seed faith. It's small. You just look and say, God, I trust you. And then he starts to go to work. And he does it inside of you. And you just say, go ahead. Do it, Lord. I'm going to follow you. Whatever you tell me to go, I'll go. What you tell me to say, I'll say. What you tell me to do, I'll do. It's just obedience. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, with evil. Here's here's the next thing I want you to see is that God never tempts you. He wants to bless you. He wants to test you. But he never tempts. Tempts you. You know why? Because God, His very character is the opposite of sin. His very nature is in complete opposition to sin itself. So He's never going to come along and be like, Don't you want to sin over here? Like, that's just not God. That's someone else's job, right? That's Satan's job. That's what we do. And, And that's what James says in a minute. But each person is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desire. It's you and me. It's our flesh that's like, man, I really want to do that thing. That's never God, by the way. He's not testing you to see. He's not like sticking out this, this leaving this donut on the counter and then see if Rob's gonna come along and be like, ooh, yeah, yeah, donut. You know, like it's not one of those. He's not testing you like anyway. <laughs> God didn't do that. God tests you, he doesn't tempt you. There's a difference. We have enough broken flesh to tempt ourselves, to desire sin for ourselves. So don't ever go and look at God and say, man, God, why did you do that? <laughs> why would you put this in front of me? Why would you dangle that there? Why would you cause me to want to go sin, God? Why did you do that? Because God's not responsible for that. Look back at yourself in the mirror and your own flesh and your own heart and say, I already wanted that if I were truthful. It's already something that I was going to go toward. And yeah, I got... I got bit by a heart. It was bad. Like, that messed me up. But it wasn't God that did that to you. It was you that did that to you. What God wants to do is test you so you can see. I really love you. I really feel changed by you, Lord. I really want to obey you. He himself tempts no one, James says. Then he says down here, he says, Then desire, when it is conceived gives birth to sin. He's talking about our flesh, right? He just said like, hey, your own flesh is causing you to be tempted for these sinful things. And so what he's saying is that that desire itself is not sin. That you can look at things and desire them without actually being in sin. That you can be tempted towards something and it's not yet sin. That could that idea could be floating in your head or in your heart and you could be attracted to that thing, but yet you still have not actually stepped into what God would consider rebellion against him or sin because you haven't actually done it. Now, there are things that can happen in your mind. There are thoughts that you can have and that you can pursue in your own mind that is stepping into sin. Lust is an example of sin, of something in your mind that you're saying, like, I'm tempted by it, but I'm not gonna sit here and think on that. Or, yes, I am gonna think on it. And then all of a sudden it says that desire when it's conceived, gives birth to sin. You saw it. You were attracted to it. You were thinking about it. You desired it like Adam and Eve in the garden looking at that fruit. But it was the moment where they reached out and grabbed it and they ate of it. That desire gives birth to sin. I want to show you a slide. He says, here's how it lays out. Desire leads to sin. And then what he says next is that sin leads to death. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. It's almost like he's talking about this life cycle. Like you imagine this little baby animal being born. It's just this cute little thing, you know, like it starts off in the belly of of the mama. (laughs) And then it's, it's, it's going through this like birthing process, this growth moment where your desire is just this little thing. But then as you pay more attention to it and you start to think more about it and you start to like feed it. It grows until it's grown so much you've fed that desire and that attraction so much to something you knew was wrong that it gets so big it becomes its own thing. It becomes sin that you've just fully stepped into. And sin then starts to grow And as you feed that sin and give it more and pay more attention and engage in that sin more and more and do it, knowing that God's like, stop, don't do that. It's going to wreck your life. And you're like, no, I really like this. I enjoy this. This feels good. I want to keep doing this. And as you do, it grows and it builds and it gets stronger to the point where it gives you death. It started with just this teeny little desire a little attraction, this little temptation that you looked at. But because if we were to test your heart in that moment, there wasn't this genuine faith that was taking place in there. There was this weak excuse for a relationship with Jesus that you were not feeding. You weren't spending time with him. You weren't talking to him. You weren't obeying him. You weren't listening. And so if we were to pull that open and test it, it didn't stand a chance. And instead, what we were doing is we were feeding the desire instead of feeding this relationship with Christ. And the more you feed that, the more it turns into the end game here is death is all that brings. And James wants us to know that because it's so easy, especially for Christians, to hide it. And that's why God wants to test you over and over and keeps saying, bring it into the light. Look at it, like face it head on and admit who you are. Stop trying to hide it and come to church and be like, no, I'm good. Like I'm this Christian and I sing worship and I read my Bible. I go to youth group. I go to three youth groups in this community, like on different days of the week. And I, but yet you're still living, feeding your temptation that's turning into sin and it's going to bring you death. And you're not going to know it because you're too busy hiding it. You're too busy running away from the testing that God wants to do to say, is it genuine? Is that faith in your heart real? Or are you taking that crown I've given you to live an abundant life and you've tossed it aside and you've put on the pauper's clothes to keep trying to pretend you're someone you're not and keep living in this life of sin? He says, and sin when it's grown, fully grown brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Brothers. That's like this own sentence all by itself. And it could be easy just to read past that, but we have to acknowledge that everyone's trying to deceive you. Like, look around. Just look around you. There are so many influences in your life that are trying to sell their belief to you, convince you of one thing or another, and that most of them are lies. How are you gonna discern between the truth And lies. You put the crown on. You be tested. You stand the test of God as these tests come. And you place your eyes firmly on Jesus and anyone or anything that tries to convince you otherwise than that Jesus is the only one and true way. Then it's a lie. Don't believe the lies. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, he says. Now, listen, for people who are living in a difficult time like these people, they could have easily looked at God and be like, why are you letting all this stuff happen to us? They'd per- they could have easily not liked the testing that was going on in their life, the persecution and the tribulations and all these things happening to them. They could have easily been like, hey, we're done with this. This, this stinks. Every time I stand up for Jesus, something happens to me. I get dragged to prison. I get beat. I get rocks thrown at me. Like, I don't know. And so then come the lies. Does God even care about you? You know, God's doing this to you. He must be a really unjust God. When's the last time something has happened to you that you haven't liked or that's hurt? And that thought has gone through your mind. God must be really terrible for letting this happen to me. This must be God's fault. James is like, don't believe it. That's a lie. You're not describing God because God only gives good gifts. He loves you so much. He's put this crown on your head and as his child, he gives you good gifts and only good gifts. Here's the next thing I want you to know. God has a gift for you. He wants you to wear that crown. He wants you to have eternal life, a relationship with him. He wants you to have abundant life that you can live in and be like, this is awesome. Like, I'm not saying it's pain-free, but it's awesome because I know God's always got my back. The creator of the universe is standing by my side with his arm around me, and nothing can come against me. That's incredible. God's gift is so good. Do you believe it? Then James says this. He says that this gift, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Now, like the pagans back then at the time, they believed this father of lights thing, this reference to father of lights, that the stars in the sky, they called lights. And they were actually these, these gods that would fly around the earth. They were up in the heavens flying around and you could see them. Every little light represented a different god. That's why so many um, constellations and and planets and all those things are named after gods of these different pagan people because they thought they represented gods. They were living out there, looking down at us, watching us, smiting us, blessing us. James says, the father of lights, this father of all gods, this one and only God, there is none beside him. They don't even compare to the one true God. He's kind of taking all their lies and going, don't listen to him. There's one God. Put your faith in him, this father of lights. He says, with him, there is no shadow or variation due to change. You ever watch the night sky? Not too long ago, there was a blood moon. I don't know if you guys saw that. It was like really late at night. Um, my dog actually got up sick that night. And so I was outside and I walk outside. and I was like bright daylight. And I was like, whoa, like I just happened to walk out there and this massive, awesome moon was out. And it's crazy how much the moon changes night to night, if you ever pay attention to that. Or how the stars move across the sky or get lighter, brighter, or dimmer at certain times. And it's, it's wild. It changes so much. And what he's saying here, that this father of light doesn't change. He is always at 100% brightness. He doesn't dim or twinkle <laughs> He's always at 100%. There is no comparison to your God and what he can do. And that's really good news when he comes up to you and loves you so much, he puts his crown on your head. He makes you his child. Because he can do anything. Whatever's coming your way, you can look and go, I trust you. And he's trustworthy. He says, "Of His own, of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. God loves you so much, he desires, he desires you, he delights in you, he's not annoyed by your prayers, he's not like, oh man, Rob's praying again, gosh, you keep asking that, he's like, come on, pray, talk to me, spend time with me, I love you, I desire you, I delight in you, God loves spending time with you, how much time have you spent with him lately? How much have you talked to him? How much have you listened to the most interesting being in all creation who knows everything and has every answer and can do everything? And we, we treat him like oh, a boring old guy up there. How much time have you spent with him? He absolutely delights in you and loves you. He is not rejoicing when you hit hard times. There's not a smile on his face when he sees tears roll down your, from your eyes. God doesn't delight in hard times coming your way, but he does take advantage of them. He does use them and turn them into this beautiful thing that helps to reveal what's actually inside of you. He ends this, this uh, passage by saying this, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. God's taking this broken universe and He's making everything new, and He's starting with your heart. He's taking the broken mess that we were and He's making us brand new so that we're this first fruits, kind of like this best part, is what that means. Like, He wants us to be this shining pinnacle of His creation as he takes your heart and the mess that it was and he restores it and makes it beautiful and he takes that awesome crown and he puts it on your head and says, you have a new identity. You're not this broke, poor, homeless peasant. You're not aimlessly wandering around wondering how you'll make it through tomorrow. You are my child. Wear the crown. Live in that. Believe that you are God's precious child. It's such an incredible trophy that God hands us if we love him. What trophy are you chasing after? What's the most important thing to your heart? Are you distracted tonight by other things? Other desires that might lead to sin and might lead to death? Or as your greatest trophy, getting to receive that crown that God's given you as his child and live in that abundant life he wants for you. Charles Spurgeon, this really old guy, he's dead now, but he's such an awesome theologian, means he studies the Bible. He said this, he said this to a group of parents. He said, if our children lose the crown of life, it will be but a small consolation if they've won awards of literature or art. Here's what he meant by that. Any award or trophy or great thing you could accomplish with your life is going to pale in comparison to a thriving relationship with God. If you win every award there is to win and become the most wealthy person on the planet and become so successful, it will mean absolutely nothing if you miss out on the crown of life. Because once you step into eternity, none of that goes with you. Where will you be when you step into eternity? When you face Jesus face to face. Now, I was scuba diving this one time down in, in Palm, uh, West Palm Beach. And there was this this wreck out there, this shipwreck that we got to go down. But it was in this place. It was 90 feet, which is really kind of deep for diving. At 100, you start to go, woo-hoo, a little crazy from the pressure and stuff. and. So we're down. It's a deep dive. We go down there, and there's some newbies coming with us. <laughs> Those newbies, right? And so it was, like, really a lot of current and a lot of waves, and it wasn't great visibility. So they had this really thick rope that you could, like, kind of follow down, and they wanted you to follow it down and kind of drag yourself so you wouldn't get lost and dragged away from the group. And so we get down there, and we're, we're kind of looking around this beautiful wreck and all these awesome things around it. And these newbies I see are just freaking out by this current that's pushing them around. And one of them bumps another one and his, what we call a respirator, it's a thing you put in your mouth to breathe, gets bumped out of his mouth. And when it comes out of your mouth, it just makes a lot of bubbles and noise. It's like, so he hears that and freaks out and has like no way to breathe. And he can't even like, he can't think straight because he's like only done this like twice. And so what he's doing, he's just like thinking, oh, I gotta just get up to the top as fast as I can. Which, if you're diving, is a no, no. Your lungs blow up, all this bad stuff. So you don't want to do that. So he's like, "I'm just gonna go," and his buddy's like, "No!" <laughs> like grabbing him and like grabs his respirators, try to put it back in his mouth for him so he can breathe again. But he's so freaked out, he just keeps batting it away, like "God, ah, leave me alone! I gotta get to the top." Type thing. It was this whole ordeal. And sometimes I feel like th- that's us. <laughs> God's like, here's the crown. I want to put it on your head this is what you need you need to know who you are you need to know the truth about who you are you're my child and we're like no no i just need to get to the top myself i need to handle this myself get that away from me like i just need to live my life i just i'm going to miss out on things if i don't if i don't live this way and we're too busy batting away the crown what we need is to step under it and say lord crown me I'm going to challenge you tonight. Wear the crown. Embrace who you are. You are a child of the living God. Will you bow your heads with me and close your eyes? Lord Jesus, we love you so much. I thank you for these kids who are here tonight. That We have the opportunity to open your word. And Lord, I ask you over these next few minutes as we... Continue to worship, would you speak to us? Would you reveal, do some of that testing right now and reveal what's in our hearts? God, help us to see if this is real. If we truly believe, if we truly love you, if we're just playing a game tonight, there's hypocrisy in us. God, will you show us? Give us the opportunity to hand it over to you and, and, and just say, God, I'm sorry. I want you more than anything. As we continue to worship, I want to ask you guys to do something in that same spirit of prayer. In a second, you'll stand and worship with us. But as we sing this next song, will you just ask God to keep doing that? Say, God, will you please show me? If I'm a hypocrite tonight, will you give me the courage to accept that and and to make a change and not to try to keep hiding from it? I just haven't put the crown on. And tonight, Lord, you want to put it on my head. God, will you give me the boldness to live that life? After this song, I'm going to come back, and I'm going to ask you what God's doing in your heart. Why don't you guys stand with us and sing this next song?